This edition of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Barbara Bush Foundation Adult Literacy X Prize. Learn more by visiting the following website, adultliteracy.xprize.org. Just like James Brown sang, it is indeed a man's world. Well, that is, if you look at trends in the coding world. For example, take a look at who's working the computers at big companies like Apple and IBM, and chances are you might agree with that aforementioned statement. And the numbers from coding-heavy organizations don't lie. Back in 2014, Google was one of the first big companies to release a report detailing its diversity. Global gender data indicated that Google employees were 70% male and only 30% female, and the stats haven't changed too much since then. Facebook, Twitter, and Apple reported about the same. Google has also released a report this year about the factors that most influence young women's entry into computational fields. The most salient ones? Social encouragement, self-perception, academic exposure, and career perception. It feels like there are articles every day seeking to understand why this continues to happen. Is it a lack of role models? Negative stereotyping against women who code? Or is it that women just don't like computer science enough to step up to bat? This week, we decided to go back to the source, schools, to understand why this might be happening. Or if the coding world in 2025 might just look a little bit different. To explore how women and girls experience these factors every day, we've reached out to women at various stages in their study of computer science. A couple of sixth grade girls who are learning to code, a college computer science minor, an educator who teaches at an all-female school, one educator who teaches at an all-black school, and one male computer science educator. We brought them all together to understand the intricacies of the issue and find out, will education buck the trend of gender inequities in the coding world? All that and more is coming at you right now. I'm Blake Montgomery. And I'm Mary Dramata. Welcome to the Ed Search Podcast. Let's get started. Kyle Pace, an EdTech administrator from Missouri, knows that bringing the four C's into the classroom, which are collaboration, communication, creativity, and critical thinking, involves more than simply throwing a few apps into your lesson plans. This week, the 50 States Project writer has advice for teachers and entrepreneurs on how to use and make products better for targeting those pesky 21st century skills. For example, experiment with one tool at a time, solicit other teachers' advice, and get out of the way of the teachers, entrepreneurs. Let them do what they do best. Imagine if public K-12 education invested just 2% of its national spending this year into research and development. That would be an investment of $12 billion, or 60 times the amount of money that Tesla raised to help put its first vehicles on the road. That's the scale of R&D investment we need, argue Alex Hernandez, Elon Samoa, and Jeff Wetzler in an article this week. They lay out a plan for investing significantly more money into R&D while also radically changing how that money is allocated. The three authors argue for building coalitions around large education challenges, investing where great classrooms and strong R&D teams work together, 
and concentrating large investment dollars in a small number of organizations with good R&D teams. You can read the rest of their plan on edsurge.com. Most engineering schools encourage tinkering, but a mandatory ethics course as well? Such are the requirements of Ashesi University, a college in Ghana founded in 2002 by Patrick Awa to develop the next generation of African leaders and rebuild a continent in crisis. Awa is a freshly minted MacArthur genius, and he stopped by Ed Surge to share his vision with us on why good citizenship is just as important as science and entrepreneurship skills. You can catch the full interview on edsurge.com. Caring doesn't scale. That's the title of a blog post that inspired David Wiley, the co-founder and chief academic officer of Lumen Learning, to share his concerns over how edtech businesses typically emphasize scale, usually depicted in big, abstract numbers, over human relationships. Quote, why are we so excited by the prospect of care, encouragement, and support? giving way to a next button that algorithmically chooses what a student should see next. His question echoes worries shared in higher ed circles over the tensions and opportunities between technology and humanity. For any of you interested in special education, here's a handy list that you'll want to bookmark. Ohio teacher Eric Kurtz recently compiled an eight-page Google Doc, which is a collection of helpful Google-related tools and features for users with special needs. From the beginner teachers to the Chrome obsessed, there's something in this guide for everyone and for every student. For example, Kurtz has a section on generally usable websites, but gets more specific with Chrome features such as extensions that enable speech-to-text functions. And now it's time for kitchens. Instructure rang the bell of the New York Stock Exchange for its long-awaited IPO this week. Instructure is based in Salt Lake City and offers its Canvas learning management system to universities and K-12 schools. Instructure's shares debuted at $16, but closed around $18, earning the company approximately $70 million. And here's a startup that will be loved. Varsity Tutors has raised a $50 million Series B round from Maroon 5 frontman Adam Levine, Technology Crossover Ventures, and other investors. The St. Louis-based company connects students with tutors for in-person or online sessions and has now raised a total of $57 million. Congratulations to Instructure and Varsity Tutors and to all the other companies who raised money this week. Well, that's it for the news bits. We'll be right back for our deep dive on women and girls learning STEM right after this word from our sponsor. Imagine if everyone in the state of California could only read at a third grade level or below. Think about it for a moment. California is currently ranked as the world's seventh largest economy. Would that still be possible? There are approximately 36 million low literate adults in the United States who read at or below a third grade level. That's equivalent to the populations of California and New Mexico combined. But that's not the end of the story. There is something that can be done. The Barbara Bush Foundation Adult Literacy X Prize presented by Dollar General Literacy Foundation is actively recruiting teams for a $7 million competition. The competition centers around developing mobile applications to increase the reading skills of low literate adults in just 12 months. So get involved, follow the competition, create a team, and register at adultliteracy.xprize.org. 
Registration is only open until December 10th, so sign up today. Now, it's probably no surprise to many of you that the world of employed coders is skewed towards one gender. We've all seen movies and comics about the white dude coding in the basement. We've also seen the photos of Mark Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, Larry Page, Jimmy Wales. You get the idea. We've interviewed a few students and educators to get a better picture of computer science education today. But before we get into the interviews, one has to wonder, has this gender imbalance always been that way? Hmm, I don't know. I don't think so. When I interviewed Saman Akhtar of KIPP IT Academy, she mentioned that a huge number of computer science jobs in the 80s were held by women. I wasn't sure, though, and I didn't really have time to Google it. Is it true? Hmm, um, let me check. Hmm, okay, apparently, yeah, it is. Some experts estimate that women made up 38% of the coding workforce once upon a time, but the number has been declining since then. With a stat like that, I have to wonder what caused it to drop. To get some thoughts, we interviewed a couple of teachers to get their take on the matter. First is Anne Grayson, Computer Science and Engineering Department Chair at Castilea School in Palo Alto. For context, Castilea is a private all-girls school. Right. So I think the primary challenge is the perception. <laughs> the perception right. of the field as being um, male-dominated and also the perception of the job of a computer scientist as being one where you sit alone in front of a computer for many, many hours um, in isolation, toiling in isolation. <laughs> and I, I think that... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, why why is that second one um, especially challenging to young women? That's really interesting. <laughs> Great question. I um, I haven't quite figured out why that seems to be more. It seems to be more of a concern for young women than it than it seems to be for for young men. Um, I, I I think the perception there there are certain. Uh, there are people who are working just like that, right? There are people in computer science who are actually sitting in front of a computer by themselves mm-hmm. for many, many hours of stretch. <laughs> Why that is unappealing um, on average for, for girls, I, I don't know. But um, the fact is that a lot of people who are working in the field are not spending uh, long hours by themselves in front of a computer. And so uh, I, I do not attempt to dispel the notion that that, that may be uh, the nature of certain jobs, but that there's a whole variety of types of jobs that you can get. Next up is Saman Akhtar, who teaches at KIPP IT Academy in Washington, D.C. It's an all-black school that serves low-income populations. Her classes are 75% girls by the principal's design, and her school differs from Castellet in a number of ways but she faces the same challenges when it comes to educating her girls about computer science. You talked, a little, you talked a little bit about showing people that there are careers ahead of them that aren't just developing software like in a basement. Um, so what elements of your instruction like emphasize changing the perception of what a coder is, that it can be a black woman, a black man, um, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be boring either. <laughs> right. Um, that's you know, it, A, it has to do with our curriculum, right? Um, so our curriculum includes opportunities in computer graphics, creating websites, 
you know, programming mm-hmm. coding. We go into robotics. Um, we create online games, apps, and we also build computers. Um, at the same time, we bring professionals in uh, that, you know, represent the racial demographics of our students, um, mm-hmm. you know, that are women. Uh, we make sure that when we're using programs um, to teach our students, um, they have female um, and diverse, um, you know, ethnicities represented um, so that they have an understanding that they're able to do this as well. Um, and it's not, you know, uh, a male, white male, or even male dominated field. Um, they can do this. I mean, it is currently, um, you know, white um, and even male dominated field. We want to change that, and we want them to understand that they can, they bear the change. Speaking of professional role models, can girls imagine themselves in computer science fields? Isn't that a problem at big companies? that women don't aspire to the biggest roles because so few of them are currently filled by women? Yeah, sometimes role models just aren't enough. The social environment of a high school computer science class is hugely important. Josh Paley, a male computer science teacher at Gunn High School in Palo Alto, has seen the social environment of his classes take female students down several times. Um, Another experience that was that was really frustrating was watching um, the daughter of someone who works at a rather famous uh, high-tech company um, took a class in the fall, an introductory class in the fall, and was really good, took the following introductory class in the spring and dropped it after about two weeks. Um, she felt confused. I talked with, with the mom about this, and the mom said, you know, the language that, you know, that, that's being used, and she understood why we had to use the strict programming language, Java. She said, there's a lot of stuff just getting started. The overhead is, you know, is quite something. She said, and again, this is an engineer at a, a software firm. She said, you know, for the beginner, I, I hadn't really thought about how hard it was to learn this stuff. And so she, you know, she felt that's why her daughter got frustrated. I talked to the student. Um, and the student said, yeah, she was kind of frustrated. She was looking around the room and seeing all these other people that just seemed to be taking the new language like a duck to water. You know, why wasn't she feeling the same way? And, and you know, again, it's just potentially a stereotype threat thing. Um, it was really sad for me to see her drop out, but, you know, that was, again, you know, you know, a, a, another point of which it was just sort of reinforced that it's a problem. Josh also shared a story about a very talented computer science student. She loved his class, but one day she asked him directly why she should take it when her friends were calling it, quote-unquote, social suicide. He's also concerned with stereotype threat. Uh, what's that? Well, when girls look around the room and they only see a few other girls, they feel like that they're representing all girls everywhere to the people in the class. So they become afraid that they're confirming negative stereotypes about girls not being good at computer science. I mean, I even saw this in my regular science class when I was a teacher. They psych themselves out. Honestly, it's scientifically confirmed that they'll do worse on tests when this is the case. Like, oh my God, can girls win at this? It seems like there are so many ways the deck can be stacked against them. Where do they get into computer science? Does it just take, like, a lone pioneer woman, like, blazing forth into the <laughs> wilderness of Java? Is she fending off these, like, wolvish men with a single torch? All right, well, no, not exactly. That pioneer mentality was probably what it took in Ada Lovelace's day. But nowadays, it's not like there are just zero women in computer science. In fact, the number of women in computer science is growing. But... 
this is still a daunting problem, and even teachers don't really know where to start sometimes. I also think that it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem because women, to some extent, aren't getting into the field because it's a male-dominated field. And, you know, so the more women get into the field, the less will be male-dominated and the more, mm-hmm. um, you know, parity that there will be. I, I think that, um, you know, being a software engineer is, is uh, it's an economic, it's a socioeconomic issue as well. These are very, very good jobs. Um, they tend to be somewhat flexible jobs. They're well-respected jobs, and I would love for more women to have access to, to those jobs. All right, before we go any further, let's pause. A teacher can share all they want about why there's a dearth, but what about the students, especially those female students currently in computer science courses? Well, when we first came up with the idea for this podcast, the biggest thing we were curious to learn about was what female students think of when they hear the word programmer. To get a better idea, we'll let Claire Mao, Leah Fitzpatrick, and Grace Sullivan give their takes. They're three sixth graders from Mount Alvernia Academy in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, and they're currently enrolled in a course where they're learning Scratch, a free online computing environment out of the MIT Media Lab. Leah starts out, and we encourage you to listen closely. Specifically, notice the gender that she references. Just talk to me about what you think a computer scientist looks like. When you think about a computer scientist, what does that person look like? Um, well, probably, it seems like somebody that would be, well, he's probably, for his job, he's, like, probably sitting at a computer for a a long time during the day, like, writing codes and probably figuring out new things to do on computers. So, okay, sure. Leah calls out the programmer as a him. To be fair, the other two girls used more general articles to describe what a programmer might look like, ones that weren't identifiable as he or she. But perhaps the most significant response they gave was when we pointedly asked them about why there aren't more women in computer science roles. They have quite the strong opinions about it, especially when it comes to how girls are just as capable as boys. Well, I know in our school, like, I think just in our, like, grade, like, I think we're, like, like, the only ones who actually do scratch. I mean, there is one of the boys that does scratch, but... I think that's, like, it. I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't think it makes, I think it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense that only boys are doing it. Yeah. Because, like, us girls, we're definitely capable. I just think a lot of girls like to do stuff like, you know, like dance, um, sports, and then some of the boys, if they're not as good as the other people, then they want to do something like computer science. The girls also brought up the issue of exposure, saying that female students aren't getting the same attention and encouragement that their male counterparts are. I think that it's what Grace said and that a lot of girls were never exposed to the computer science uh, when they were younger and more of the boys were, so they've grown up to be uh, more interested in it. I think that girls and boys should have like should all be doing computer science and whether they're into it or not and just try it. And I don't think that it's 
really good that most of the computer scientists are boys because we really need like diversity. If like um, a man might think that, oh, this would be a really good fit, but then a woman could say like, oh, well, that's, um, that's something that um, maybe a man would be more interested in. So you'd have to change this to make it um, interesting for everybody. Yeah. As we talked to these sixth graders, we wondered if that mentality, that girls just don't get the same support to become coders, is something that's felt from the college experience as well. So we found Courtney Cochran, a college student from Davidson University. She's an applied math major and a computer science minor. And fun fact, she loves what she's learning. There's a lot more creativity in code writing than I would have ever imagined. Like how you approach a problem um, can be very varied. And it can solve the problem both ways or many ways, but um, sometimes it'll be easier or harder. But it's it's kind of like writing a paper; like you have to do drafts. It's very it's very much like in any other class, but it's seen as kind of like an outlier, which it's really not. So I guess when I was going into it, first of all, that was going to be crazy hard, and I didn't really I didn't really know if it was something for me because of the stereotype that we've been discussing. But I also saw it as something like vastly different from anything I'd ever done, which was just not true. It was very much along the lines of the math course I've had and the English and the language courses, like I mentioned. Courtney is a baller when it comes to her studies, sharing that she's never really considered anything other than what she's majoring and minoring in. But like the sixth graders, Courtney shares that it's an issue of exposure. For example, why aren't there more high school computer science courses and mentors, she asked. Computer science. Like for my high school, I took a very, very introductory like half semester computer science course in high school. I think it was with that program that you had mentioned. Um, what was it called? Scratch, yeah. I think it was something similar. Like it was not really coding, but like getting you into that kind of logic mindset kind of thing. Um, but then also, I think the two biggest things, which I think Davidson's actually doing pretty well with, is getting computer science female faculty so that you, you have these mentors and you can see, you see that people have gone through this and also just a mentoring program in general for, low, for underclassmen and upperclassmen in computer science. Courtney brings up a worthy point to discuss, because it's safe to say that there's a desire for more gender-balanced numbers in the coding world. I mean, I can attest to that. But how can schools get us to that point? Sure, we've seen those big all-students-code initiatives from the likes of Chicago Public Schools and the Los Angeles Unified School District pop up over the past year or so. But how should that actually play out in the classroom? Well, Salman Akhtar's got a few recommendations. You know, the same thing that I mentioned earlier, like encouragement, right? Um, changing your self-perception, um, focusing on, you know, career choices um, that more women would be interested in going into or just, you know, giving them various backgrounds. Um, and just really academic exposure, um, add different courses, right? Don't just focus on programming and coding. Um, you know, have a web design course, have a Photoshop course. Um, th- these things are necessary, as well as extracurricular activities for the you know young women to participate in, um, so that they actually, you know, they're getting the science in like a social context, uh, and they're able to get the peer encouragement. Um, that's really necessary. These factors seem pretty universal, whatever age of girls you're teaching, though their application probably looks different and varies widely across schools. 
Someone said that using these guideposts has allowed her to think about teaching computer science to black students, especially to black girls, at a high level, as well as in the everyday instruction. The powers that be in computer science education are taking note as well. The College Board's new AP Computer Science course, called Principles of Computer Science, is aimed at broadening the base of students who take it. Salmon framed it as a change in instruction that will increase diversity. Um, so rather than focusing on just the programming and coding, um, students will be assessed on a multiple choice exam, but also will have to turn into projects, um, to performance tasks. Um, so they'll be creating apps. Um, I believe, and that's what they'll be assessed on uh, versus, you know, a written portion um, and a multiple choice exam. Um, so it's really, and it's not, you know, um, you're not, like you're coding in a, a language, you know, that's the choice of the um, teacher, um, but it's, it's, there's no focus on, like, a specific language. Uh, it's more of the concepts, and they believe, like, mm. when students have an understanding of that, um, they're more likely to pursue, um, you know, coursework that is more challenging, that is focused more on a specific language. Um, so they don't want to just, you know, throw something that's extremely rigorous to the students and they have no prior knowledge of. Um, it just, you know, students shy away from it. <laughs> they didn't want right. to uh, go into Java and having never learned any of these six, seven, you know, ideas. Um, so it's starting them off with ideas before they go into, like, working on the hard skills. We've been talking about girls in computer science for a while now. And when I get really deep into a topic, sometimes I have to reframe and kind of readjust and remind myself why I'm asking the question in the first place. It's like when you're scuba diving. Sometimes you have to blow bubbles to see which way is up. The percentage of girls taking computer science and gun has gone up from below 20% to, you know, this year in our introductory classes, I think it was something like 36%, which if That's we said, you know, if we talked, well... If we talked about any other discipline, we would find it horrific, right? I mean, if we said 30, 36% of our math students are girls, 36% of our science students are girls, we would all be horrified by that. Um, so so we recognize 36% is progress, but it's nowhere near good enough in my mind. Um, but, but what it tells me, I think, is that something is changing. How much of it is what we do at GUN to encourage girls? Um, I don't know. It could simply be an economic thing where people are looking at computing as a way to, you know, make a good living. It could be, you know, there are some kids looking at computing as a way to change the world um, because it is. Um, you know, so, and it could be cultural things, you know, where no longer is it taboo to do, you know, the geeky computer science thing if you're female. I, you know, and there could be a lot of other factors. I've got no idea how, you know, how other sign weights to these different things. Mary Jo, have you ever leaned in? <laughs> Uh, lastly, we have to go back to that James Brown song to finish out this part of the podcast. Remember what we played at the beginning? Well, we didn't play you the whole clip, but we're going to now. And in the light of this interview, listen carefully, because James Brown actually doesn't believe that this is solely a man's world. And we agree. This is a man's world. But it would be nothing. Thanks to all the students who we interviewed, Claire, Leah, Grace, and Courtney, for hopping on the show with us today. 
And thanks also to Summon Akhtar, Anne Grayson, and Josh Paley for offering the teacher perspectives. Who knows? Perhaps in 20 years, Claire, Leah, Grace, and Courtney will be head programmers at four of the largest companies on the planet. Yeah, here's hoping. And speaking of employment, if you're a teacher who's interested in learning about how you can make a bit more cash on the side, check out our recent infographic on teacher marketplaces. From Teachers Pay Teachers to EduSense and Edmodo, we've done the homework on where you can sell lesson plans and meet other educators. Log on to edsurge.com and do a quick search on our site for the article entitled, A Marketplace for Teachers to Sell, Share, and Shine. And finally, thanks to you all for listening. We love making these shows, and we hope that you enjoy them too. Please subscribe and tell a friend. And if you don't have a friend, tell a lover. And if you don't have a lover, well, you can cry on one of our shoulders. Well, it's a little creepy, but it's true. We are here to help. And with that, I'm Mary Jo Matta. And I'm Blake Montgomery. We'll see you next week. This is the EdSurge Podcast. Thank you.